Uh, we have the pleasure of welcoming back to our pulpit this morning Jeff White. He's been with us before, um, and we thank him for joining us to share from God's Word. Let's give him a warm welcome. <laughs> So I should be, who should be thanking you? I noticed that my calendar, I'm going to be back here on the 12th of March, which means it's potluck. All right. It's been a while since I've been here. Pastor Andy didn't have any facial hair the last time I was here. And, uh, but no, it's good. It's good. If we could start up our little message here, this would be great. Get salty. We need salt to live. Salt is in pottery, salt's in plastic, sodium chloride is an essential to life. But sometimes people say, well, what about getting salty? I hear that in a lot of different ways. We oftentimes think of our urban dictionaries on what it means to get salty. Sometimes I've heard of salty sailors. We're a little sarcastic. I always love t-shirts. National Sarcastic Society, like we really need your help. That's a little salty. Here's, a, here's one my wife bought for me because she knows that I have a couple people that I teach with who are sometimes hard to deal with since they're in the, in the science department. I teach history because science teachers need heroes too. Boy, that's a little what? That's a little salty. One more, one more, why not? For those who teach English, English is important, but history is more or is importanter. <laughs> Get a little salty. Before we proceed with more of the message today, I will say that my wife and I we we got here about an hour early today, and we walked in and we heard the the praise band rehearsing. And I have an opportunity to oftentimes be invited to a lot of different churches, and I hear a lot of praise bands and a lot of praise teams. And your praise team um, is fantastic. Uh, when I was here for an hour, I heard, thank, it's them who deserve the praise. I heard them rehearsing over and over as a sacrifice of praise so that we can come to God and we can get it right. Or at least we can get it the best we can. So I feel very humbled now that I have to follow that praise team that gave so much of their efforts to God's glory this morning. But if we could turn in the slide here, I want to show you a picture of God's glory. <laughs> Three years ago, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And last year, um, well, actually, when she was diagnosed with cancer, I said, when you beat this thing, we'll go anywhere you want to go. So last year, around this time, she said, let's go to Zion. Let's go to Bryce Canyon. Let's go to the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. So we went there. And we spent a whole week in that part of Utah, and it was wonderful, it was cool, it was the middle of summer, yet it was in the 40s sometimes at night. It was just so, so great. Next slide, please. As we walk through some of the valley there at Zion, you feel like you're just walking in the Garden of Eden. That's why there was one of our Saturdays on this trip where, I'm sorry, Sundays on this trip where I just spent time writing a whole sermon about the Garden of Eden. And then it was time to leave this place. We left in the morning. It was about 40 degrees from Kanab, Utah. And we started heading back to Las Vegas to jump on a plane and fly back. 
And as we're heading back through the deserts of Nevada, I kept on looking at that temperature gauge, and it kept on going up to 70, 80, 90, 100, 105, 114. And there was one last thing that I wanted to do on my wife's victory trip was to go to the Hoover Dam. What history teacher doesn't want to see the Hoover Dam, even if it is 114 degrees? And my wife hates the heat. After church today, just ask her about that. And so we're touring this Hoover Dam, and I'm wondering, why can't she just appreciate this? And so she's getting a little salty. (laughs) And I'm getting salty back at her. And then as I'm kind of, you know, you know, husbands and wives doing that kind of, I'm just not going to talk treatment. We have to go back to the car and we've got to get on the elevator and go up to, you know, where the parking garage is and it's seven, eight stories high. That elevator's not going to be air conditioned. And as that elevator opens up, about 30 people come out, all sweltering. And I'm looking at 30 people all going in, all sweltering. And you can just feel the tension mounting and mounting between my wife and I. Next slide, please. And then I see a woman with a T-shirt, because I love T-shirts. And what does her T-shirt say? Her T-shirt says, get salty, Matthew 5, 13 and 14. And I'm like, Lord, thanks for the, the reality check. Getting salty is what we were doing, but getting salty is what we need to do, and be salt is what we need to be. So in Matthew 5, 13 and 14, we have Jesus' favorites, or this, this wonderful time here of the Sermon on the Mount. He's finally proclaimed that he is the Messiah, and he's going to start to preach to the people there that surround the Sea of Galilee. And as hundreds, if not thousands of people are there, Jesus is going to give us the Beatitudes. But more importantly, next slide please, more importantly, at this hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is going to talk about this group of people being special. This group of people, these Jews, they've been waiting for the Messiah. And the problem is, is they had been, for all of their life, persecuted by the Romans. The Romans had taken away their identity And just like many of us, oftentimes we need the blinders taken off, Jesus took off the blinders. The Pharisees had said, if you want an identity, this is how you have to do it. Even during the Reformational times, we know that there were times where people had blinders, where the church had said, this is how you have to have a relationship with God. But here on this hillside, our Lord gives us numerous parables about what it means to have an identity about what it means to be a part of the kingdom. That's right, what it means to be a part of the kingdom. New blinders, or I'm sorry, the old blinders are taken off and a new vision is given. And in this new vision, Jesus says over and over, you are this, you are this, you are this. So we could see the words here of Matthew 5, 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is the master teacher. 
And teachers back in this time would oftentimes give two different examples to get their point across. Jesus gives us three. It's kind of like if a teacher today said to his students, the Sears Tower, it's a half mile high. That's like eight football fields on top of each other, giving two examples to drive home the point. So maybe if this one doesn't work, this one will. And the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about these people having a new identity, he's giving multiple examples. And like the master teacher, they're all going to come away with something a little different. Something a little different that still leads in the same direction. Let's take a look here first at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. There was a time before I taught at Ileana where I had to do something called substitute teaching for an entire year. And I did it in Lansing, in District 158, and they would call me just about every day, and I didn't know where I would go. Sometimes it was at TF South High School, sometimes it was at TF North, sometimes it was at Memorial Junior High, many of you know these schools. But sometimes I got called to the grade schools. And when I got to the call to the grade schools, it was usually for one purpose. And I would walk in and they would say, Jeff, you're going on a field trip today. <laughs> with who? Third graders. We need to have a chaperone for every eight students. So you will have eight third grade boys with you at the Museum of the Science and Industry, Lincoln Park Zoo, somewhere like that. Really? And sure enough, you get on the bus, and it would be only a matter of time until you took that little curve off the Bishop Ford onto the Dan Ryan, where you could almost do a countdown, where some little kid, five, four, three, two, and then one kid would see it, Sears Tower, Sears Tower, and then all the kids would start looking and they would lose their mind, and it was, yeah, yeah, this Sears Tower, there it is. <laughs> and as you're driving down the Dan Ryan, what happens? It gets bigger and bigger, and that skyline gets bigger. If you've driven out to Grand Rapids, you get a little bit past Zeeland, Michigan, and sure enough, you crest this one spot and in the distance, all of a sudden, Grand Rapids, the skyline, peeks its head over the horizon. Or go down to Indy, and you come past this one really large shopping mall, forgot what it is, but you make that curve, and there's the Indianapolis skyline. A city on a hill can't be hidden. And what happens with that city on a hill? It gets bigger and bigger the closer you get to it. And more is revealed as it gets closer and closer is it an attractive city, or is it a city that's falling into decay? Jesus says, you are a city on a hill, can't be hidden. And everybody around Galilee knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Many of them would take their pilgrimage down to Jerusalem. And when you come around out of the Kidron Valley, what do you see? You see Jerusalem on the hill. Oh yeah, we know what you're talking about, Jesus. We've been down there to Jerusalem Jerusalem's up there on that, on that mountain. We see it. We see it when we come out of, the, out of the crest of the desert. There it is. It can't be hidden. And the closer we get to Jerusalem, the closer we see what it is. When people examine our lives, we're a city on a hill. As they get closer and closer to us, know more and more about us, what do they see? What do they see? Jesus is asking that question. What do they see out of you? And now... We look more at salt. And salt has a whole different context here. If we take a look here at this picture, we see some of these different salt areas that surround the Dead Sea. Oh yeah, that part of Israel 
that was valuable. That was valuable to the Romans. So when Jesus brings up this idea of salt, those multitudes there by the lake, they know exactly what Jesus is talking about. So let's take a look here at some of the things that salt represented in Jesus' time. Obviously, one, flavor. Boy, we can certainly tell when something has too much salt, when something doesn't have enough salt. And by the way, after church today, we got salty snacks out back. That's right. I called a few people and said, hey, can we have some salty snacks? So we're going to get salty today. But flavor, Colossians 4, verse 6, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's right. Christians are supposed to be the light, supposed to be a city on a hill, and we're supposed to bring that flavor. Currency. In Jesus' time, salt was used for currency. Salt had a price tag on it. Salt was precious. What is Jesus saying about us? You are the salt. You are precious and you have value. You have value to me. Preservation. That's right, to preserve food. We all know and we've learned in school that biological process of how salt can, can pull water out of the cellular membrane and as a result bacteria can't stick to it. Now, they didn't know all those processes back then, but they knew that you would use salt to preserve meat. You would use salt in the, in the healing process of putting it on an animal that might have an infected knee or hoof. And somehow that salt drew that infection out of there. To us today, we look at our United States of America 300 years ago when people started to come here and settle. Our first 125 universities in this country were all seminaries dedicated to somehow spreading God's word, to preserve in this nation something special for God's people. Today, Throughout our nation's history, we've seen that in other forms. The Red Cross, YMCA. Even in our own time, we see adoption agencies and orphanages all dedicated to preserving what God wants here in this United States, claiming back every square inch for himself. Number four, conquering. If you're a Roman soldier and you're there at that Sea of Galilee and you hear this guy Jesus talk about salt... To you as a Roman soldier, that means to conquer. When you conquered a people, oftentimes the Romans would take salt, and what they would do is they would spread it over the fields of the conquered people. So now for the next two, next two generations, you depend upon Rome. So by the third generation down the road, they're all Romans. They're all thinking that Rome is our sovereign. They forget what happened to their grandparents. But to use salt in that context was to conquer. Jesus says, you are conquerors. That's right. We all know what's coming up in a few months from now, Easter Sunday morning, where God has allowed us to be a part of that victory celebration. So salt is to conquer. If we continue... Planting, making things grow, that's right. Any farmer knows that there are certain phosphates and certain salts that you need to use to build up the soil. So salt is going to be used to plant. We Christians, we're here to plant something. Linda said this at the beginning of our service today in some of the announcements. We get this opportunity to do planting work. And then, oh, 
for those Pharisees that are there. Salt was oftentimes used in the seasoning of the sacrifice. Season all your grain offering with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings and add salt to all your offerings. So for the Pharisees there, they, say, they saw salt as something unique as well. And for many people who had engaged in business transactions, what you would do with a business partner is oftentimes you would symbol your bond. Not in, today we symbol our bond in some kind of legal contract, something that's been notarized. Back then, you would have a bag of salt. You would take out a handful You would place it in the other person's bag. They would do the same to your bag. And the idea was this covenant is going to last until every single grain of mine and yours has been separated. And when that happens, well, then the covenant is broken. In other words, there is no breaking of this covenant. And God says to you, you are my people. You are the salt. I have totally embedded myself with you, and there's no leaving you, and there's no breaking away. fire. In this time that Jesus spoke of to these people, there's times in which you have to cook every single day. And there's not enough, there's not enough wood, dead wood to go around. And so what people oftentimes burned is people burn manure. That's right. And what you would do is you would take this salt and you would work it into the manure And what would happen is the moisture would be drawn out of it, and when you burned that manure, it made it burn hotter. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean in Jesus' time? you got to get in the bad. you got to get in the nasty stuff. Salt gets in the nasty stuff, and it makes it better. we got a whole world out here, a whole world where we have to be salt and get in the nasty. Get in the nasty. As we advance to the next slide, Jesus says, don't lose the saltiness. How are we doing with this? I have a friend of mine who this very day, right now, he's down at the Sea of Galilee. I told him to crack me off a big hunk of salt. Because, I'm sorry, by the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, sorry, by the Dead Sea. And he's going to crack me off a big hunk of salt and hopefully bring it back in a suitcase, see if he can get that through customs. And the people back then knew that as you went further and further down to the Dead Sea, there was salt that hung oftentimes on the sides of those cliffs. And as water could could cascade down, it would dilute it, and the salt wasn't as pure where it was easy to get versus where it was hard to get. Jesus says, don't lose your saltiness. Because salt can be endless when it's done the right way. And we are supposed to create a thirst out there. We're supposed to create a thirst as, as, as his salt, as his light, as his city. How do we do with this? I think about the first person that we come to know of in Scripture who was confronted with God's people. Oh yeah, early in Genesis... We, see, we hear this whole covenantal story of God pulling Abraham out and then Isaac then Jacob, but they really don't become a nation. They don't have an identity until they come out of Egypt. And when they come out of Egypt, they have an identity. They're now God's people. And who is the first person that they come in contact with? Rahab, a prostitute. 
There she is. She's living in the, in the city of Jericho, and that's right. Spies are sent out to check out this town. They're sent out to see whether or not they can capture the city where it's weakest. And she sees something very unique in these Israelites, and she says, I want that too. I want what you have. And for us, being the salt, being the light, being that city on a hill, do people look at us and say, I want that? I want that too, like Rahab? And that's for the older of us, and it's also for the youth. For the youngest of us. I think of a time in third grade at Lansing Christian. It was the 70s. And for those of you teenagers in here, our music was so much better than yours. Yeah, it was. Ours is better, sorry. <laughs> it was the 70s. And in the 70s at lunchtime, what did we have? We had the good old peanut butter and jelly and white bread. That's what we had. We had a lot of other unhealthy snacks that were saturated fats. But back then, who knew? We're still alive today. We didn't have helmets when we rode our bikes. We're still alive. But we had not the best of food, but we had, yeah, we had that white bread, we had the peanut butter and jelly, that's what all the kids ate. And I remember there was one girl in our class where her mother had made her, it was like a summer sausage sandwich, and it had, it was on wheat bread, and it had mustard on it, and we looked at her and we said, we're just going to call her name Susie. We're like, ew, Susie, what are you eating? And she's like, what? And we kids on the playground, after that lunchtime, we started running around, touching each other. You got Susie germs. You got Susie germs. And, right, and what happened is, is we kept this up day after day after day. Until finally, our teacher sent Susie on a little, a little errand where she had to go to the office she went to the office and our teacher said to us, our teacher said, every night Susie goes home and she cries because of what you guys have started. So guess what? It stopped for about three days. It stopped for about three days. We were nice for about three days. And when I look back on that story, 45 years ago this happened. 45 years ago. And I can't imagine what it was like for this girl to come home and say to her mother, the kids are making fun of me. And for that mother to think, I was doing something I love. I was making my child sandwich. Something that she likes. And now the little kids on the playground, they're just tearing her apart. I've, I've sent my kid to this Christian school where she would be protected. Where I thought she could be protected. And you know what? She came back the next year. And we were just as bad. We're just as bad. She didn't come back after that. I've lost track at what, where she ever went to, what she ever did. But here it is, 45 years later, still convicted with the idea of we, we little kids, we had the opportunity to be salt. And we didn't. We were pepper. And so there's little kids maybe in here, maybe who are watching live stream, this isn't just Jesus speaking here to adults. He's speaking to the kids too. He's speaking to all of us. Because as we wrap up our, our time today, Jesus comes and talks to this crowd again. In Matthew 11, 
we see here? Jesus will come back again to this area of Galilee. And he gave them some directions a year and a half before. Be salt. Be light. Be a city on a hill. And now, all right, now I want to see how you were supposed to practice this. I've coached a lot of years where you, where you teach the team the, the playbook, you have them run through the drills, and then it's game time. So here's Jesus about a year and a half later. It's game time now. How you been? And now Jesus gets, if I can use this, a little saltier. How have you been doing? And I encourage you to read the context and read the surrounding portions of Matthew 11. Because here he's really laying it on the line. And what Jesus says is this. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Our Lord has revealed these things to us. God the Father has revealed this stuff to all of us in this room. And he has said to us, you guys are special. I've revealed it to you of all people. Now be the salt. Can you just imagine these multitudes walking away from the Sea of Galilee? What did you get out of it? Well, I, I, I saw that he talked about preservation. Oh, really? I was thinking about conquering. Oh, yeah, well, I was thinking about currency. Oh, yeah, well, I was thinking about flavoring. Oh, yeah, well, I was thinking about this. I was... And you know what? Because Jesus is the master teacher, everyone who walks away from there is like, he spoke to me. He spoke to me somehow differently than he have spoke to you, but we're all leading towards the same thing, and that is the kingdom. The kingdom is like, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. And our Lord has revealed this to us to be the salt, the tower, the light. May all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord of the universe, you've revealed so many things to so many people. You've revealed many parts of your universe to us in different ways, and you've revealed different people to us in different ways. And you've required us to be a flavor. You've required us to preserve. You've required us to conquer. You've required us to be your salt because we have value. And there are thousands and millions who have value too. May we always remember to be the salt throughout this week, months, years that lie ahead so that we never look back at 45 years or 50 years and think about the times where we weren't the salt. Lord, forgive us the times where we weren't the salt. In your precious name we pray, amen.